Take your Bibles, if you wouldn't. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 3. And children, you are dismissed to the Toddler and Children's Church. And this morning, I, I wish to preach about a subject that is impossible to cover in one sermon or a thousand sermons. And that is the faithfulness of God. Our theme this year has been the just shall live by his faith. Uh, because that faith has to be personal. It has to belong to you. It has to be in your heart to get you to heaven. Amen? It cannot be someone else's. It cannot be a vicarious faith. It cannot be a borrowed faith. It's got to be yours. And if you're going to have that faith, there's only one place in the entire universe you can get it. Faith cometh by, let's hear it. And hearing by the Word of God. There's only one place you can get faith. It comes from this book. But what I'd like for us to do is, is kind of just turn that around today. And I want to preach on the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. Amen. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know if that verse wasn't in the Bible, there'd be no human being that would have one ounce of hope of being able to enjoy eternity with God. It is so astounding to me We live in a world full of religion. Years ago, as we were starting the church, I was working with a man uh, in evangelistic work, and he claims that uh, there are 5,500 different religions in the world active today. That was 1992 or three. I, I imagine they've invented a few more before then. Presbyterianism hadn't been invented yet. How many people know what that religion is? Uh, they gather on the Internet and they eat hamburgers and listen to Elvis Presley songs, and they call that a religion. And, and somebody said, but he sang Amazing Grace, didn't he? Yeah, but he didn't have any of it. If he did, he wouldn't have died the way he did. A lonely, broken, drug-infested man. At a very young age. Listen. Only God is faithful. And His grace is there. It's all of God. And yet, all over this city, far more people than are assembled here this morning are assembled trying to make themselves pleasing enough to God to be rewarded with eternal life. Trying to do something that's going to enhance their relationship with God. And I, I want to challenge you today, that is the antithesis, that is the exact opposite, that is your Bible turned inside out. 
you can't be a member of this church until after your eternity is settled first. We will not baptize you until the issue of eternity is settled first. Why is that so? I want to challenge you. That is the way God has ordained it because He is faithful. We're not going to spend a lot of time there, but let's just look through some verses here. Uh, in fact, let's take a moment. I'd just like to read this entire chapter, Second Peter chapter 3. We're not going to uh, do a verse-by-verse exposition this morning, but we're definitely going to cover uh, the material in, in a little different way than is in here. But this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat? Nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven, And a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, my beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led 
being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. In this chapter, we have the history of the entire world laid out before us. That which was, that which is, and that which is yet to come. And I want to challenge you that as we look at this overview of the history of mankind, the one thing that is constant is God's faithfulness. Aren't you glad that when God gave man dominion over the earth and over the seas and over all the fish and over all the birds and all the animals, that he did not give us the key to destroy every living thing on earth? Say, but you don't understand. We have all these nuclear missiles and we have all these weapons. And, 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 and if we unleash the biological weapons hidden in the corners of the world, we could wipe out the human race in just a matter of moments. Can I remind you that God holds the key? And that man will never stop hurting other men. But that God is still in charge. It's His creation. Psalm 119, verse 90 says, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. Isn't it amazing that no matter what man has done, the earth has repaired itself? We've given the example many times of Bikini Atoll, the largest nuclear explosion in the history of mankind on the surface of the earth, was there at this little set of islands in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. One of the three island cluster was completely evaporated by the explosion. Every living thing died in the seconds that that atomic fireball engulfed those little islands. And yet today it's a popular tourist destination. Today, people fish from the very shores of that island that was so devastated by a nuclear explosion. You see, God created this earth. It abides. It's a testimony of His Faithfulness. Can we say amen to that? Aren't you glad that God sends rain on the just and the unjust? The Bible says 
And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. You know, people have taken that as God's permission, as God's license to sin and to do evil. And it's none of the kind. It's a testimony to God's faithfulness in His creation that it works regardless of the people that are in it. Can we say amen to that? What kind of God would it be? that would make an earth and put man in it, and it only works for the people that obey him. Now, I'll tell you this. If you want a good life, the only place you're going to find it is in obedience to God. If you want to fulfill what God created you, you know, you can turn on the TV and they'll talk about realizing uh, your uh, uh, the latent goodness that is in you and, and, and uh, having all these uh, incredible expectations met and stuff like this. But the question is, if that were really true, why would the guy be wasting all this money and all this time to talk about it on television every week? If every one of us actually had the answers inside of us, uh, if you could realize your inner champion, does anybody know who I'm quoting right now? Uh, Joel Olstein, if you don't know. If that were really true, why would he have to spend all of this money and all of this time and raise all of these hundreds of millions of dollars every year to do this if the answer was already inside of us, because we'd be able to find that answer, wouldn't we? You see, that's, it's a lie. The answer's not in you. The answer is not in creation. The answer's in God. You see, God is faithful in His creation. He has made this earth, He has made this universe in such a way that man cannot and will not destroy it until the verses we read when God folds this thing up in the book of Hebrews. The author describes it as God putting away the universe as you would an old shirt that you like a lot. And you're just going to fold it up and it has significance and you're going to put it in a box Because it's so worn that you can't wear it anymore, but you don't want to lose it. God's just going to fold this whole universe up, and it's going to go away. Because He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And there's not going to be any sin, and there's not going to be any sorrow. There's not going to be any sea, there's not going to be any separation anymore. How many of you are looking forward to that new creation? You see, God is faithful in creation. 
But he's faithful in his holiness and in his word. You know, one of the great temptations of a parent is to compromise on what the difference between right and wrong is to accommodate your child. Oh, it's really not that bad. If I can just use a little phrase I've made up, it's a parent's job to make a big deal of little things when your children are little. So that when your children get big, you don't have to pretend that the big catastrophes in their life are little. But this idea of the permissive parent, you know what? It's so easy just to say yes to your children. It takes a lot of work to say no. Because if there's one thing a child does not believe and does not understand, is the meaning of the word no. Now, as adults, I'd like you to take a moment and think about that. How many of you could say, you know, now that I think about it, I really don't understand what the word no means. Because, listen, used to be, if you didn't have money, you didn't get it. No meant no. No money, no food. Does it work that way today? No, it doesn't work that way today. No doesn't mean no anymore. Because you have Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and all of these other things that are out there. And if nothing else works, you go to the little G, little O, little D, city of New York. And they are under legal obligation to give you food and shelter. You cannot be left on the street in this city unless you want to be. Isn't that amazing? How much better would it be if we understood that the word no simply means no. See, God has never, ever compromised Himself to accommodate us. God has never violated the difference between right and wrong. How many of you remember some of the parting words of our President Bush, who said, in the midst of this economic crisis... It is necessary for us to suspend the rules of capitalism to save capitalism. I want to challenge you. That was the most foolish thing that he did in his entire time as a president of the United States. Socialism, government, is never the answer 
You know what the answer is? In our country, it's character. That means yes means yes, and no means uh, no. That's character. That what is true today is actually true tomorrow. How many of you are old enough to remember middle school science and the coming great ice age where our sun is going to diminish in its heat and the world is going to freeze over? Now, don't make me be the only one to raise my hand, but I remember learning that. I remember going home at night and saying, Dear Lord, please don't let the sun go out. That's what the teacher said. Now it's global warming, and we're all going to cook. And I love God's sense of humor. How many of you remember the ship that was going to Antarctica to look at the lack of subarctic ice and got frozen into the ice block so solidly that they had to be rescued by helicopter? Uh, actually happened. You can look it up. I'm not making this up. Al Gore showed up in Washington, D.C. several years ago for a global warming conference in the largest single snowfall in, in recent history, fell and canceled the conference. You know something? I still believe God has a sense of humor. And I'm going to enjoy that. But I want you to understand... That there is no greater standard of holiness than what's contained on the pages of this book called the Bible. You could take God's summary, the Ten Commandments, the summary of the law, the, preface, the, uh, the preface, we might say, or the, the opening... Uh, paragraph of God's law of 613 laws in the Old Testament law, Ten Commandments that summarize all the rest. That mankind in all of his history, mankind in all of his attempts, has yet to come up with a legal system as simple and as just is what's in the pages of this book called the Bible. You see, there's only one standard of holiness. How many of you remember the story of the rich young ruler that came running and fell before Jesus in the way? And he said, Good Master! What must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's amazing Jesus' first response was not keep the law. Was not this or that. Was not even believe on me. It was, why callest thou me good? There's none good save one, that is God. You see, Jesus always went to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is, you're not going to heaven 
until you believe that Jesus Christ is God and that He died on the cross to pay the price for your sins and that serving Him and being able to be His servant is worth more than all of the riches and all of the glory and all of the attainment that can be attained by the human race as a total, let alone by any single mortal being. That's why the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. It was not because he loved his riches so much. It was because he couldn't recognize Jesus for who he is. You see, if you could understand who Jesus is, would those riches have been so important to him? Hello? No, you see, when he looked at Jesus, he just saw another man like himself. Oh, a great teacher and and a miracle worker and all these, but he couldn't see Jesus as the faithful, eternal God who came to earth to pay the price for our sins. See, that's why Jesus had to die on the cross. Amen? Because God would not violate His holiness. Because God would not lower the standard below the standard of Himself. Therefore, He made a way to take you and I and raise us to the standard of His holiness. And by the way, He did it in such a way that it's not dependent on what you do. It's all of what He did. Can we say amen to that? The faithfulness of God in His Word and in His holiness. The Bible says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is what? Guilty. Guilty of all. See, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. I've had so many people over the years, well, Pastor, you just need to know and understand my story. No, I don't. I don't need to know your story. Because your story is the same as my story. Just names and details have been changed to prove guilty. You say, but how can you understand what I'm going through? I don't have to understand what you're going through. Because Jesus already did. Jesus already does. You will never understand who God is until you get past yourself. And for that fact, you ought to be most thankful
because if you've ever gotten to know yourself very well, could I challenge you, that is the root of all mental disease, as we call it today, is getting to know yourself. I've heard people say, well, I can forgive others, but I can't forgive myself. Pride. It's all it is. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you are so special among all the people of the earth that God can't forgive you? That's blasphemy, my friend. You see, God is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If he wasn't, we wouldn't be. You see, God's offer of salvation, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That's Romans chapter 9. Do you know what Paul was saying there? He was saying that salvation is not through religion. Salvation is directly a gift from God. You see, the Jewish people had gotten to a point to where they believed that their Jewishness was their ticket to eternity. That's why Jesus told them that God is able to raise up out of these stones, son to Abraham. And by the way, nearly half the world's population today, or over half, claims to be related to Abraham in one way or another. The Jewish people, of course, descended through Isaac. Uh, the Arab people, or the, actually now the Arab people in the religion of Islam have, have uh, claimed to become one. They all claim to be the sons of Abraham through Ishmael and through the Quran. Ishmael had nothing to do with the Quran. But that's their claim. And we as Christians... And even those who use the name Christian without true faith in God claim to be the sons of Abraham through faith. Uh, That's a huge percentage of the world's population, is it not? And yet, Jesus said, straight is the gate. And narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I want you to understand something today. You see, it's God's faithfulness that created this heaven and this earth and made this universe in which we live. It's God's faithfulness. And we could spend the whole time this morning and and for months on end, and we're not going to, just talking about the faithfulness of God in the preservation of this book for us today in our old King James Bible. It was 
Dean Bergen in the 1880s as Westcott and Hort were poisoning the theological and the scholarly world with their uh, lies and their devaluation of the Word of God. It said, if every manuscript and every copy of the Bible were to be taken away from this earth in a moment of time, he said, we could go into the libraries of this world, both ancient and modern, and recreate the entire text of our Bible without one word missing. Because this is the most quoted book in the history of mankind. That's how faithful God is in preserving His Word. And never once has God lowered the standard of His holiness to meet us. Because He is faithful. And never once has God said no to a soul that has come to Him. You see, the God of religion is a God that's looking for an excuse to keep you out of heaven. The God of the Bible is a God who has done everything that every person could go and be in heaven with God. Why is it that we hold on to things here on earth? Because we can see them. We can touch them. We can get out our bank book or our financial statement and we can look it over and we can say, look at what I have. You can only have Jesus through faith. You know what that means? You can't touch him. You can't put him in a bank account. You can't lock him in a vault. It's a living relationship based on faith. You see, God is faithful. And if you and I make contact with a faithful God, we have to have faith in us. Are we still together? You understand that? That if you're going to make contact with a faithful God, faith is going to show up in your life. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, For without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to tell you, God is faithful in His creation. He is faithful in His holiness. He is faithful in His Word. He is faithful in His offer of salvation to mankind. It is not through religion. It is through the person of God Himself. But this is what separates the Bible from all other religions, Christian and non-Christian. How many of you remember going to a church before you came here 
and you were told that if you did what they told you to do, so many prayers, so many this, 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 and lived a good life and helped little ladies across the street and all these things, that, you, that maybe someday you would have a chance to get to heaven. How many remember being a part of a religion like that? The goal was to get into heaven. You see, that is so against what the Bible teaches do you understand that salvation is the least thing that God wants to do in your life? It's the most important, yes. Salvation is the whole thing. Without it, you have nothing. But God in His faithfulness does not want to stop at salvation. God does not want to just get you into heaven by the skin of your teeth. He wants to minister you an entrance into His kingdom abundantly. And the only way that happens is through faith. I I wish there was some way that we could grasp, that we could really comprehend what God wants to do in our lives. How great it is. How incredible, how wonderful the work that God wants to do in our lives. He took 12 men. One of them was a traitor, Judas. And those 12 men changed the history of the entire world. Did they not? Can you tell me of another group of men that small that made such a difference in this world? When you stop and you think about it, I don't believe there's any parallel. We say, well, communism started with Karl Marx. Oh, yeah, it's changed the world, hasn't it? And there has yet to be one person whose life was truly changed for the better by communism. And yet, how many testimonies are in this room of lives that have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can we say amen to that? You see, God is what we call Long-suffering. That word needs no definition. It's its own definition. God suffers long with us. How many are glad about that? Why does God do that? Because He's faithful. He is faithful to keep His word and His promises. He is faithful to save us, not just today. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 8, it says, "...who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ." 
God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. God is faithful. He offers salvation to the entire world. And when he gives you that salvation, it's for all eternity. But he's faithful in forgiving us our sins. And as long as he gives us life, he gives us an opportunity to reflect his faithfulness to the world in which we live. You know, we don't always do a good job of doing that. But you see, that's what 1 John 1, 9 is all about. You say, I, I can't be used of the Lord. I've failed so many times. Well, what did Peter say? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Jesus said, fear not. I got work for you to do. And that same Lord is calling you today. He says, I've got a job for you. I've got a place of service for you. I've got things I want you to do. And the majority of this chapter, and we're going to end with this today, is the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Jesus is coming again. How many of you could say amen to that? How many of you are looking forward to being with our Lord and Savior, meeting Him in the air? Forever to be with our Lord. All the scoffers are out there. They've got mid-trib and post-trib and, and uh, uh, mid-trib pre, pre this and uh, mid-trib pre-millennial and, and post-millennial pre... Uh, you know, it's just nuts. You know what? The Bible says Jesus is coming again. It says the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. How is that going to be for the Christian? We're supposed to be looking for the Lord. Amen? We're supposed to be looking for His return. Years ago, there was a group of people in Europe, and, and uh, he was a, became well-known in evangelical circles, never, never studied his Bible far enough to become a Baptist. And uh, his name was Francis Schaeffer. And uh, wrote a lot of things and people on apologetics and answered a lot of the questions of the atheists and the agnostics in the early 80s and things. And But here's what happened to Mr. Schaeffer. He got so wrapped up in this idea that Jesus was coming back that he got a group of people that were following him, not a church, because he didn't really understand what the Bible was teaching about the church. He thought it was some invisible, erythral thing all over the world. And Well, they were the purest of the pure, and they dressed in white and wandered the Swiss Alps, waiting for Jesus to come back. You see, that's not the way I wait for Jesus to come back. You know how I wait for Jesus to come back? By being faithful to what's in this book.
See, that's why church is important. Because Jesus said so. That's why the fellowship of believers is important. Because Jesus said so. That's why personal holiness is important. Because Jesus said so. That's why we don't join the world. Because Jesus said so. And you know, if we'll do these things, we'll have more to do than we can possibly get done. And all of a sudden, we won't be touching the ground anymore. You see, I don't wait for Jesus by looking up in the sky and saying, Is it today? One of the best ways I can wait for Jesus to come back is get out your daily Bible reading schedule. How come I didn't hear any amens? Let's try that again. One of the best ways you can wait for Jesus to come back is get out your daily Bible reading schedule. That was pretty sick. Pastor, that's hard work. Yeah. I don't believe in a 15-minute devotional life with God. It doesn't work for exercise in your physical body, and it certainly will never work in your spiritual relationship with Christ. God spent 6,000 years of human history preserving this book for you and I, and we don't pay attention to it. I want to challenge you. You're not, you're not reflecting God's faithfulness when you don't pay attention to this book. You see, Jesus is coming back. That is not to paralyze me. That's the thing I hate about these stupid movies about the Lord is coming back and tribulation force and all that. Somebody said, oh, but they're, they're so good. Well, they may be good entertainment. But like so many movies, when you read the book, the movie's stupid. Hello? God is... Faithful. He's never refused to forgive a sin that was asked of him. He's never refused a soul salvation that has asked for it. He's never compromised his holiness. He's never lost one word of this book called the Bible. He's never allowed His creation to be so destroyed that it can't put itself back together again until the day He folds it up and makes it disappear forever to make a new heaven and a new earth. He's kept everything. I believe He's coming back because He said so. 
And what he wants me to do is to reflect his faithfulness in my surrender to his word and his will. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that we would allow you to work in our lives.